Welcome to the Book Lovers Podcast from Spartanburg County Public Libraries. We're obsessed with books and pop culture, and we know you are too. I'm Joseph Henderson, the Media Specialist. I'm Carmenita Turner, the Media Collection Development Librarian. And I'm Jess Herzog, the Director of Adult Services. When's the last time you listened to an audiobook? For Carmenita, it was yesterday. But audiobooks are a part of all of our lives, so on this episode, we're talking about our relationships with audiobooks, how we enjoy them, and what we know about the Audio Awards. We're also sharing some of our favorite Audio Award winners, recommending places to start if you've never read an audiobook before, and if you're listening to a podcast, you should try an audiobook. We're also manifesting Beyonce as an audiobook narrator. Let's get started. topic hello joseph also <laughs> so our topic on this episode is audiobooks and the audio words and i didn't pick it joseph didn't pick it carmenita picked it so carmenita i'd like to hear why you decided to do this topic because i was tired of defending myself with only reading audiobooks on our podcast do you really feel like you're <laughs> defending yourself all the time no i okay. don't but i do feel that I oh, I primarily read audiobooks and I do keep track of my reading and I keep track of how many of them are audiobooks. And this year so far, I've listened to about 350 hours of audiobooks. That's wild. Yeah. Wow. <coughs> because that's um primarily what I do and of all the books I've read this year, it's probably 80% audiobooks, 10% graphic novels and 10% print books. And I figured that's something that we don't really get a lot enough attention to. The people that only read audiobooks or people that feel a little hesitant about them. There's lots of book guilt, I feel like, around audiobooks. Oh, mm-hmm. unquestionably. Yeah. So I wanted us to give that little format a chance to shine today. Yeah, nice. and I think that's a it's a really good topic to pick because at least for us here at headquarters, and I think we see that at some of our branches too. We have this dedicated group of patrons who are commuters or drive a lot for their jobs. And all they do all day long is listen to audiobooks and they'll burn through three or four things a week because they're reading basically nonstop while they drive. But there is absolutely that that kind of stigma around an audiobook not being quote unquote real reading. Yeah. And it's like, can I say that I've read an audiobook when I've really listened to it and haven't done it with my eyes? But it's just as valid as a regular form of reading. Yeah. And I think that when we <coughs> when we have this stigma around it, we're really missing out on a lot of things. Like, um I didn't get introduced to audiobooks until college. I had a friend that listened to the Harry Potter audiobooks all the time while she was studying or cleaning, and then there was some book that I needed to read for a class, and it was a novel, and I was worried I didn't have time to read it before the class started in the spring, so I just powered through the audiobook, and I think that might have been the very first audiobook I read, mm-hmm. and um, I really fell in love with the genre, and I just look back at other books in my life that I would have really benefited from listening to the audiobook, books like um, The Grapes of Wrath, was such a chore for me to get through when I was in high school 
and now I think how easily I could power through that wi as an audiobook. And it just wasn't really a well-known or talked about option when I was coming up. Right. I'm, I mean, you go to school and you're given a copy of the book, yep. but there's no talk about the copy of the audiobook being available or an option very often. Just how did you, what was your introduction to audiobooks like? Um, I was, I was reluctant to try the format out for a really long time because my, I guess my primary interaction with audiobooks in the pre-smartphone days was as like expensive items at a bookstore, um, like prohibitively yeah, expensive items like at, a, at a bookstore. A book. Yeah. So even if I would have been interested in one of them, I wouldn't, I, I I wouldn't have been as inclined to pick one of those up as opposed to like a $10 paperback or whatever of the same book that, you know, was by Stephen King and just massively long or whatever. But I think really for me, the, um, the one of the ways that I finally got into audiobooks was um, once I had, you know, the means of carrying a digital media library around with me, either on an iPod or, or on a smartphone. And, and I was able to, to listen to them in, in that context. And so in relation to that, the, the like initial successes that I had with audiobooks were uh, primarily in the form of stand-up and other media comedians' uh, memoirs and writings. So, like, uh, the three that I remember uh, really distinctly and, and that really made a, a huge impact on me were uh, Patton Oswalt's uh, memoir, Zombie Spaceship Wasteland, uh, which is really great. And it's read by, and, and he reads it. And then uh, Julie Klausner's uh, memoir, uh, I Don't Care About Your Band, um, and then Tina Fey's Bossy Pants. Um, like all of those had a huge impact on me. And I got into them around the same time that I was listening to a lot of comedy podcasts. Um, so I was just really into stand-up in different forms and like, you know, watching stand-up specials and going to see it occasionally and whatever. But that was the, that was the hook where there was just like the immediate appeal of, I want to see how this person reads this book that they wrote and I really like their voice and their writing otherwise in so many other contexts. And, and so it was just more accessible and I would listen to them um, again because they're portable driving around, but like walking around, whatever, you know, exercising any, in any kind of other walking around with your disc man context. <laughs> well, no, this was post disc man. That's what I was saying. You know, this is uh, it, it was really the the digital file format that like freed that up for me. Yeah, I really liked what you said about listening to some of these comedy type pot books that are read by the author, and I think that's something. There's a lot of memoirs, even um, just general story essay collections written by comedians or actors, and I would almost argue that you should 100% only listen to those audiobooks mm -hmm. because it's already an actor you really like and they're a performer and audiobooks at their core are a kind of performance. And I think that's something that the older audiobooks had kind of this reputation of being really dry and kind of boring. And now the narrators are treating them exactly like an actual stage production almost. Right. And um, Amy Poehler, Yes Please, really leaned into the stage production style of it. And then um, Nick Offerman wrote a book called Paddle Your Own Canoe, 
that sort of like, it's almost like an acting textbook slash memoir for him. But because he is an actor and a performer and has been for his whole life, he's able to really bring this story to life. And if I had been reading that, I think it would have been something I didn't finish. Mm -hmm. But hearing him perform it was great. And then another one I really love was Mindy Kaling and her yeah. Why Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? Because she just has so many great jokes in the comedic timing just shines through in an audiobook in the way that it might not with the print version. Yeah, and you're used to those and you're used to those performers like you're used to their voices in the way in, in, in the various characters that they have played on on TV uh, or in movies over the years. And I don't know, I I just kind of feel like that can be a real that could be a real hook because you already enjoy them in this other context and then in this context it's like I don't know, you're able to see you're able to see the like full extent or ca their full extent of a capa of their capacity as a performer yeah. as they're able to create pictures in your mind, you know, yep. while you're <laughs> doing whatever you're doing. You've also been trained by them to kind of be used to hearing them tell a story. Right. Yeah. Right. So you're already prepared to hear stories from either characters or stand up or something like that. And then audiobook seems like a natural transition from that yeah. to be able to hear like the stories told by these people because you already know their voice and you already understand where they're coming from and their perspective. And so like, you're kind of prepared for it in a way. Yeah, and like the beats and the pauses yeah. that they will use maybe for dramatic effect. Yeah. So what's your audiobook history, Jess? Oh, gosh. Sorted and sundry. I mean, it, it definitely didn't start until I was working at SCPL. Yeah. For sure. Um, I have a couple of former colleagues who are really, really into audiobooks, and I was very, very resistant to ever reading them. And I finally was convinced by a former coworker of mine who was a real, real passionate audiobook fan to listen to one. And I ended up really enjoying it. Um, and then I needed needed to train my ear to hear audiobooks a bit better. That's one of the tricks with them is that you've got to kind of train yourself to think about reading in a different way and absorb that information a little bit differently. But once I got there, I found myself really enjoying it and enjoying some aspects of it. I do primarily still read the physical, the print book, but um, I especially like to turn to audiobooks when there's a wait list for the <laughs> physical book. Sure. Because nice little hack. Yeah, it is a hack. Um, so often here we have... <coughs> We'll have a wait list a mile long for the book, and the audiobook will be sitting on the shelf, not <laughs> checked waiting. out at all. And I'm like, well, this is my opportunity to listen to this instead of reading it because I can get my hands on it so much faster. Like the audiobook recently for The Four Winds, the Kristen Hanna, we mm. got through that list so much faster than we did with the physical book. We have way more copies of the physical book. But the demand isn't there as much with audiobooks because it's so much more specific and it does require in a certain way, I mean, it requires an additional amount of technology, right? And for some people, that's not as accessible, maybe. I mean, for us, we have a huge physical audiobook collection, but there are a lot fewer CD players than there used to be 15 years ago. Sure. Yeah, there's been times when I've listened to a CD audiobook. Most of the audiobooks I listen to are through our various digital library apps 
But when I have listened to a CD-based audiobook, I almost feel trapped in a good way in my car because that's the only mm. CD player I have. Mm-hmm. So I can only listen to it while I'm driving, and I can only... I, I, that's, the on, that's literally the only time I can listen to it is when I'm driving somewhere or when I'm just sitting in my driveway in my car. <laughs> I loved a couple of weeks ago we were getting rid of the music CDs here at SCPL. We were removing them from the collection. And I said to you, do you want any of these? <laughs> and you said, no, I don't have a CD player. And I said, what about your car? <laughs> and what did you say? I think I was like, that's for audiobooks. Yeah, you said, no, it's an audiobook player. <laughs> that Dedicated. made me laugh really hard. <laughs> Dedicated. I mean, for you, that really is what yeah. it's for. And that's become, for me, what it's for, too, because now I listen to music primarily on my phone. I don't really listen to right. CDs. So if I am using my CD player in my car, it's almost always going to be for an audiobook. Yep. Unquestionably. <laughs> So but going back to something you said earlier, Jess, about you said once you got used to and trained yourself, what helped you train yourself for audiobooks? It's really um, it's really pretty similar to Joseph, which was going back and listening to voices that I knew and could rely on and perspectives I understood. Bossy Pants is also one for me that I listened to pretty early on. And then also listening to stories that I really wanted to listen to, but knew I didn't have time to physically read, like in terms of the book in front of my face. And that was very helpful because it was stuff that I'd always wanted to pick up and meant to read at some point, but just didn't have the opportunity to, I I have to read a lot here at work. I do the book club um, and I'm, at that time, roughly around that time, was when I started grad school. Ooh. And so I was reading nonstop for library science. And that's really thrilling. But most of it is book, <laughs> or not most, not even books, most of it's articles. Mm-hmm. And I, audiobooks became the only way for me to have any leisure reading at all. Mm-hmm. And that was that was really where I started to really strengthen the muscle and I took a class at one point that was um, young adult literature had to listen to an audiobook for that and I listened to Will Grace and Will Grayson by John Green which is really really well narrated um, and it has a dual narration perspective to it and I really enjoyed that and I started listening to quite a bit of YA on audiobook but it really it picked up steam, especially after grad school, because I was so exhausted by physically reading so many articles that audiobooks became the only way I could read at all. Mm. And that was, that's the only reason I didn't fall completely off the wagon was because I was listening to audiobooks. I couldn't even get through a graphic novel for a while. Yeah. And I was just so tired. It was like six months straight and all I could do was listen to audio. And that was really helpful for me. For sure. And I don't listen to them as much now as I used to, but I just catch myself every once in a while being like, huh, I'd like to listen to an audiobook now and I'll go over to the shelf and find what I can find and just listen to it. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like to I like to have one going in the background. And what I mean by that is I'm the type of person who tends to have a few books going at once. Um Are you? <laughs> yeah. I like to read a lot of stuff. I like to have a few few different titles for a few different moods, depending on what I'm hoping to feel while I am having this particular reading session. But I often feel like my whatever my audiobook listen is, it's like that's a little it's always a little bonus treat of some sort that that could either move really quickly or it could move really slowly. But it doesn't really matter because I'm able to like 
put it in the place where put it in the place in my life where I can't sit down with a book, but I'm doing other things and I can divide my attention in those moments easily. You yeah, know, you might be um, in the garden, could be in the garden, could be walking the dog, could be washing the dishes, could right. be driving, you know, to and from work, whatever. Or I'm well, really the, one of the examples that I found was actually a great context for uh, listening to audiobooks was exercising, yes. specifically running. Um, because, I was working recently on a uh, couch to 5k like training sequence and I was trying to listen to music while I was doing that and it was a terrible idea um, (laughs) because I would just pay I would pace myself to the beat of whatever I was listening to. Um, not realizing I was running, running way along, too fast. Listening to Beethoven's yeah. Ninth Symphony and just yes. raging all the yes, way. That was me. <laughs> that was me just well, pumping along to the Ode to Joy section. <laughs> Beethoven aside, what I my running playlist, every single song on there is specifically curated for me to feel like I'm in a Nike commercial. Specific oh. beats per minute. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not I guess not so much the beats per mi- per minute, but still a very specific kind of get up and go vibe yeah and so Mm -hmm. i do the same thing where i'll go for a jog and i just hear that one song and i just full-on sprint for three minutes Mm. and then i'm like what have i done to myself what have i done i've peaked too early i still have three miles left yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, i have so much more to do and so i started running and listening to podcasts as a way to pace myself because i listen to a lot of podcasts and then i thought this is the same thing as an audiobook and so then i started doing it to some of my audiobooks and it really helped me maintain like just one steady pace for the whole time without f- pushing myself too hard. This is fascinating for me because I've tried and I can't like when I really? run. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't do music. I couldn't do audiobooks. I couldn't do oh podcasts. My God. No, wait, new pod. Did you just run in silence? Well, I mean, not silence. I ran outside. So birds, the Ambient sound of outdoor noises, my feet pounding the pavement for 12 miles. <laughs> This is a lot to unpack. Yeah, I ran both my half marathons without any sound, any music. Whoa. Yeah. All right, everyone join Jess's team <laughs> for the apocalypse. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I don't need to hear music, but I go real slow, so the zombies would get me first. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, All the more reason to join our team, guys. I, it just, like, it distracts me, and I have a hard time. Oh. Really, the only time I listen to an audiobook is in my car, and... Anyone who knows me for any length of time knows that I like to drive. I am a car person. I don't know much about my car. I let a professional take care of that. But I know how it is to be behind a wheel for a long period of time. And it's something I really enjoy. So when I listen to an audiobook, it is almost exclusively going to be in my vehicle. Yeah. While you're out there living your life a quarter mile at a time. Yep. One, one Prius at a time. That's me just trolling, trolling along. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing because I think like maybe one of the, maybe one of the meta um, aspects of a lot of this audiobook talk is like how it, it could be getting a person to think about how they like to focus on certain yes, things and like sure. what are the contexts where they will allow themselves to have ever so slightly divided focus um so for instance you know it should go without saying maybe not but when i'm driving i can handle music i can handle listen listening to music i can handle listening to audiobooks or podcasts but i can't handle you know like a screen 
in front of me <laughs> that's like showing something. Even if it was most a, people can't. Most people it can't. Stays that way, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please don't prop your phone up in um, front of you on the dash sure. while you're driving. Yeah. Watch a video. <laughs> Too far. Vlogging while you while you go. Um, well, I think that's an interesting point though, because like for me with running, all I I don't really run much anymore i i realized that my love-hate relationship had mostly turned into hate and i had to stop (laughs) um but when i was running all i could focus on was my next foot forward and not forgetting to breathe and breathing the proper way which was with my diaphragm as opposed to my lungs because i was also having neck issues that were related to the way my muscles were lifting my uh, collarbone up so that my lungs could expand. So there was a whole thing going on there where I just couldn't focus on anything else but making myself breathe the right way. And anything else, any music, audiobooks, that kind of thing would have distracted from that and would have ended up call- causing me pain. I mean, most people, when they run, their pain is in their feet. Who knew that I would find pain in my neck from running? Yeah. But um, it also with driving is one of those things where I don't need to focus beyond a certain point because it's just become like a second skin for me. I do it so much. I'm in my car so often and I drive so, so much that it's just become second nature to me. And so sometimes I get bored Mm -hmm. and an audiobook actually helps me from getting bored and losing focus on the road sometimes. That's usually my experience with them. They really help me just pay attention to what's yeah. going on. Because otherwise, it's really easy for me to get distracted or distract myself. And so an audiobook can sort of bring focus in. And it gives me something very clear to focus on. And that lets me focus on everything that's peripheral. Yeah. So you sort of have, you have this like thing, this experience that grounds you in the moment it's moving forward and kind of moves you forward in time but then you're able to fit other things around it right. in some way so like when i run to music on since we're on the still topic of running and audiobooks i'm focused on okay this chorus is 10 seconds long mm. this song is three and a half minutes long i've mm. got three minutes left in this song and then two or three songs plays and i'm like okay i've been running for 15 minutes but when i'm listening to an audiobook i don't think about the time Right. You start doing too much math. And yeah, I start doing too much math, and that impacts like how I feel about the jog or the exercise that I'm doing. It impacts how motivated I am because then it's like, oh, I've only been here for five minutes <laughs> compared to an audiobook where my alarm goes off and then I'm done, and I'm like, oh, okay. And so I don't think about the time as much, so it takes away one distraction so that I can focus more clearly Mm. on the task at hand Mm. even Mm. though both are kind of distracting me from the task at hand yeah yeah well and i think i think there's like i don't know this is this is kind of going into more philosophical territory but i do think that like the the idea of having a binary between like attention and distraction is probably not you know it's like most binaries probably all of them it's just not correct right yeah, it's you a know false binary for in, sure. instead what we have is like all of these different like gradients and kind of like what you're talking about almost both of you really where there are like different levels uh, and in sort of divisions of intensity in attention yes. and what you need in a given moment or in a given situation to get you through whatever you're whatever you're doing, you know, uh, whether we're talking about running or driving or 
cleaning or what have you. And that's something that has definitely gotten more intense. I don't want to say worse, but just more intense for me as I've gotten older. Yeah. Because a big thing that turns me to audiobooks is just being able to split the attention a little bit. Yeah. That whole phenomenon that you just said so eloquently is a perfect explanation of why I'm so drawn to audiobooks and Mm -hmm. why I feel like a lot of us are. Because it is almost, I joke that it is almost impossible for me to just sit still and read a book now. Yeah. I think it's because there's just so much going on. You know, we have so much that we're constantly dealing with that I always feel like I need to be doing something else. And it's really hard for me to just focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. You've lost your muscle for reading the pa- the print book. Oh, 100%. Just like you've got to train your muscles for audio books. Yeah. You have to train your muscles for print books, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have to plan, like, right. if I know I'm going to read a print book, I have to plan almost, like, a whole year. It took me literally six months to read a 400-page print book. And that was reading a couple, of reading pretty diligently every week on it. Um, so... It, it's just something I have to really work to train myself to read the print books now because it's something that I have to give it my full attention almost. Do you want me to read books out loud to you? That would, would be that delightful. <laughs> I could act them out. <laughs> A full performance. Yeah. <laughs> Jess reads. We could both We could both do it. We oh, could. my God. There's nothing worse than your two friends trying to narrate a book for you. Yes, that would yeah, go something that would be terrible. Sure, be yeah, no very bad. At all. And that that makes me think of one of the kind of struggles I've heard with some of our patrons, particularly those who are visually impaired, because we are very fortunate to have a state library that has a large collection of what are called talking books. So they they actually have a studio in Columbia at the state library where they record books. Um, but they aren't audiobooks because they aren't engineered. They're read by volunteers. And one of the things that I've heard from a number of our patrons who listen to or access the talking book service in some way that the narration is just so subpar compared to what they're used to with like published mm-hmm. or like completely engineered and produced audiobooks. Right. That yeah. We see. Yeah. And that leads me to think about how truly, sheerly important it is to have a good narrator behind your audio yeah it can make or break a situation can you Carmina can you think of any times where that really like the audiobook narrator either pulled you through the book or stopped you from finishing it one way or the other I don't want to say the book name or anything because I don't want us to discourage let's not drag it publicly (laughs) we're not doing that but there is a particular series of books I love And I'm a big fan of rereading. I've talked about it a couple times on the podcast, and it's something I'm going to be talking about later on in today's episode. But I decided to reread these books by one of my favorite authors that I read when I was in high school and in college. And I was like, I'll I'll listen to the audiobook. That'll be the perfect background noise. I think that I was at a time in my life, maybe in grad school, maybe some other chaotic time, where I didn't really have the mental energy for a new book. I just wanted something familiar. Kind of like when you want to start a new show, but you just don't have the energy, so you just play an old favorite sitcom. You just watch mm-hmm. The Office again? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I, I'll do. I'll do that with audiobooks. Um, I'll just listen to an audiobook I've read before. So I decided to do that with this series. This series takes place in Louisiana. Specifically, most of the books take place in New Orleans. The audiobook narrator chose a ridiculously sickeningly sweet southern accent that just made me want to gouge my 
ears out of my head. Like, stab myself in the ear so that I wouldn't have to hear it anymore. Hey, y'all! Yeah. Ugh, that's <laughs> it was not good. awful. And it was also before I learned how to change the speed on audiobooks. Mm. So it was just very, very slow. It was just, think of, like, the worst southern accent you can think of on a TV shows or movies times at least four. That's what this narrator did. That was the choice that was made. And so then I tried a couple of other books, because in this series, all the books are very different. They follow different characters. And it was a different narrator who had taken the same approach to doing this really oh, that's awful, a shame. awful, stereotypical southern accent. And I just couldn't. I was like, I can't do this. We're done. I can't. And I, one of my fa- one of the things I love in audiobooks is accent work. But that was one where I was like, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this. I think I tried it for about 40 minutes before I was like, no, I cannot do this. It's doubly hard, too, when you live in the place oh, yes. where it's authentic. And I know when I was younger, I, you know, you could have had a, an authentic Southern accent slap me in the face and I wouldn't know it from fake because right. I just didn't know living in New Jersey. But now that I've lived here for a decade plus, I can hear when it's fake. Yo, yeah. And it's like nails on a chalkboard kind of yeah. hurtful <laughs> um so yeah that can really just destroy it yeah completely what about you joseph since <laughs> since no one listening can hear me pointing at you <laughs> we do that a lot well we'll, we'll point at each other but yeah. we no one can see it well now i'm trying to remember i'm trying to remember where that where that thread started what was the original question narrators have they helped? Is oh. there like a memorable time for you that they've helped you through or stopped you from completing? Um, While you're thinking about it, I can go yeah. go through one yeah. of my own. Um, I, again, won't say the name of the book because I really don't, once again, don't want to drag it simply because I didn't enjoy it. I know I have met other people who have enjoyed the book, um, but I finished the whole thing and the only reason I finished it was because Dion Graham was the narrator and I could listen to that man read me the phone book all day (laughs) Um, his voice is so perfect for a narrator and I've listened to a couple of audiobooks by him one of my favorite books American War which I've both read in a book for like in a paper book format and as an audiobook I listened to him do that and there's something that he brings to every single thing he narrates that is just truly tremendous. And when we did Lot, I listened to that, and Dion Graham was on there too. And that was <laughs> another one of his books. The only reason I finished it was because I was like, at least I can listen to Dion Graham talk yes. <laughs> for like 12 hours. My list, my list of audiobooks that are like that is considerably longer than just one or two. There are several where it's purely the narrator that made me finish it, either because I didn't like the book or because the book was just kind of boring and didn't vibe with me. Or um, there's been times where I didn't like the book and loved the narrator, but I was on an eight-hour road trip and I didn't have anything else downloaded. But the narrator was really great, so I just kept going. So that's a common thing for me. Yeah, thinking back on it, I would say that, you know, for me, the unpleasant experiences I've mostly forgotten at this point because with <laughs> most of you. those <laughs> with most of those I just have I just have abandoned the books. Yeah, and um, it seems like it's easier too to abandon an audiobook in a certain does, way. Especially right? especially if it's something that I've checked out digitally. I just 
send it back with abandon and it, it feels great. Oh, um, see, I'm the opposite. Oh. oh, there's many books that I wouldn't have finished it if it wasn't for the audiobook oh. because I'm a big fan of, I've always been a big fan of life's too short to read books that aren't vibing for you. There's nothing wrong with that. Just stop reading it. But Gotta there's like been lots that. of books that I did finish because the, au- the narrator was just, just good enough or the narrator was really amazing. And that made this book that was kind of boring or kind of tedious really enjoyable. Mm. There's been a couple now there've been a couple of audiobooks that I've abandoned because it was just the wrong mix for a lot of different reasons, but usually I'm able to finish an audiobook way faster. I I, I, I guess I give it um more of a chance. It gets more points towards finishing. Right. Hmm. I have found that with na- with narrators though, if it's not like if the narrator themselves isn't working for me, I will release it very quickly. Whereas I will maybe give a print book longer. Mm -hmm. And there are certainly some, some books that I think I have released this because the narrator isn't vibing for me, but I would definitely go back and pick up the print book. Yeah. And that makes me wonder how I would feel about the audio book that I completed simply because Dion Graham was reading it. How would I feel if I had picked up the print book and tried to read that and see what that was like? I won't because I didn't enjoy it, (laughs) but I'm curious how I would have behaved if I had encountered that. And if I would have felt the same way Mm. without Dion Graham there to lead me through it. Now, another thing that helps me with audio books and a little bit more of the finishing I'm a big skimmer when I get bored with a book, yeah. especially if there's multiple points of view. And there is a book series by one of my favorite authors, Libba Bray, called the Diviner series. And this book series has about seven characters, and the chapters alternate between each of these characters for what's going on in their life. And as with any book with a ton of characters, there's only going to be a handful that you really are super invested in. And when I read the physical version of books like that, I just skim those characters, the ca- the sections for the characters I'm not super interested in. I'll just sort of skim them or just read a little bit of them before moving on to the characters I really love. Mm. But with an audiobook, it's again that good kind of being trapped where I have to just listen to it. And so then I actually read the whole story. And when you skim, there's going to be stuff you miss. And so then I don't miss those things. And I actually read the entire story instead of just reading like half of it. I... It's a really good way to slow down, right, yes. and absorb everything. And I have, I don't have the best reading comprehension in the world, and I have a hard time, especially with fight scenes or any sort of like action scenes within a book, because there's so much heavy description happening right there that it's hard for me to really absorb it in my brain. Right. And for me, listening to that is so much better because it feels like it's someone describing it to me as opposed to me trying to analyze it for myself and then build it in my head. Yeah. Um, because the pace of those things is so fast and you want it to feel fast because it's action and it's really like high energy and that kind of thing. But it's very hard for me to absorb. So the audiobook helps a lot with that. And then you sort of break up the fastness when you're like, OK, wait a minute. Where did the gun go? Right. I can rewind. (laughs) I can rewind and have them read it to me again and again and again until I really get it and can move on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think one of the things that um, one of the things that we're that's sort of taken for granted uh, or kind of in the background of this conversation is just like the speed of reading that happens in an audiobook for those listeners to the show who haven't given an audio haven't given audiobooks a chance. That's perhaps one of the most surprising things that you experience initially um, is that mo- more than likely 
you'll be reading something via listening to it uh, much slower than you would if you were reading it, oh, if yeah. you were simply yeah, reading it with sure. your eyes. And so, so it does give you an opportunity to slow down and time kind of dilates a little bit and you can really uh, sort of marinate in a scene and, and really sit with it and think about what's going on. And I think that's actually one of my, it's one of the things that I do really like about, um, about audiobooks. And it's certainly been like one of the qualities that has characterized a lot of my, a lot of my sort of successful experiences with them. And the one that I was thinking about, um, one of the recent ones that I've really enjoyed was the Rob Inglis's performance of The Fellowship of the Ring, uh, which is a very long audiobook. It's about night, well, not the longest but it's 19 hours long and um, there's a lot of singing in it and there's a lot of poem reciting in it and all of this is in the book for those of you that have ever tried to struggle through the print version of the fellowship (laughs) of the ring on your own which i have and i you know i read it before in my life and and so i was revisiting it and apparently inglis he he adapted a uh, a stage play version of the of the lord of the rings um series um, where he would do the poetic recite recitation and sing the songs and stuff from the from the book as well as like read passages from it and dialogue and so on. Um, and so the feeling that you get when you are listening to this is um, in some ways it's it is almost close to that that feeling of proximity that you get with some of the memoirs that, that I was talking about before where there's just this sense that he has this deep love for this story and is so invested in how it is performed and presented that um, it just comes across in every aspect of the, of the performance and it makes it so rich um, for a listener. But the thing about it, is because it's Tolkien and because it is uh, the Lord of the Rings in particular, it moves at an absolute glacial pace, (laughs) which is great because I never once felt lost. I could listen for 10 minutes and I would only get halfway through a song or I could listen for half an hour and we would barely make it out of breakfast. And it was great. Uh, I, I like that slowness. I think I'd have to quit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's that's part of like reading in general, right? Is that pace is going to be an important part of it too, for sure. And I think about when you talk about how evident it was for English that, or how evident it is as a reader that English really cared about this content. It made me think of, I felt the same way about the graphic novel for Slaughterhouse-Five. Yeah. And how how handled with kid gloves that story is and so anytime you're adapting something original into a new format which we get with the graphic novels and we get with audiobooks anytime someone is narrating it we're putting a lot of trust and faith in our narrators that they're going to bring the story to life in a way that feels authentic and true right yes speaking about exemplary narrators and um and really really excellent narration and um, narrators who really care for the, for the stories that they're, that they're presenting. One of the things that we, we wanted to talk about today in relation to this conversation about audiobooks, 
um, is how audiobooks are recognized and awarded in a much broader sense in in publishing. And there's a there is an actual very special ceremony just for that. Um, <laughs> so Jess, I wonder if you could uh, if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, there are, there are actually a couple of audiobook awards out in the world. Right. Yep. Um, probably the one that people would know the best if they've heard of of it um if, if they've watched the the pre-show telecast for the grammys mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the grammys has an award for the best spoken word album which when we hear the term spoken word we often think of poetry but it's really anything that is spoken as opposed to sung or musically performed right. and so beyonce has one i believe no i'm sorry Michelle Obama has one for becoming. There have been a number of, of big awardees in that category, but the one that is really truly specific to exemplary audio narration is the Audio Awards. <laughs> Great name, very clever, which is by the Audio Publishers Association. And they do the Audio Awards every year. It's been since 1996. So this has mm-hmm. been going on for Whoa. quite a while. Um, and really awarding audiobooks for great production, particularly for excellent narration. And they're a great option for anyone who's looking to get into audiobooks, doesn't know where to start, or wants to go a little bit deeper with audiobooks because there are dozens of categories. So many mm-hmm. categories. I'd say there's like 20. 22 something like something that something like that insane number of categories yeah and there are categories that are only awarded sporadically there are categories that are awarded every year the categories fluctuate depending on what is popular from year to year sometimes they're merged sometimes they're pulled apart the wikipedia article is a real ride <laughs> there's yes. so much information there um but the audio awards are a really great way to navigate the world of audiobooks because one of the Sometimes tricky thing about tricky things about audiobooks that we have is that they don't always get released the same day as their print counterpart. Right. So we may have sometimes a line of 20 people waiting for the new Kristen Hanna but the audiobook is sitting on the shelf. But we might also have copies of the new James Patterson and we're still on order for the audiobook. Right. So there's a a tricky balance there where the audio award sometimes is awarding stuff that's a little bit older because the audiobook hasn't come out right, right away. Um, but there's such a broad variety, and it's really looking at the narrators and the narrative skill. And I was wondering if we could talk about some of our favorite stuff that has won Audis and why we love what we love and what it's won. Sure. Um, I I can maybe start us off with this a little bit. Um, I mean, I'll I'll talk about a... A, a particular writer that I think I, I honestly got into primarily because of the audiobook performances being so distinctive and just like <laughs> enrapturing. Um, and that's Hilary Mantel. I'm, I've read the first two books in her um, trilogy of novels about uh, Sir Thomas Cromwell. The first one is called Wolf Hall and the second one is called Bring Up the Body is the Mirror and the Light is to be read by me it is it is uh, quite a quite a doorstopper of a book um but i know i'll get to it eventually um but um simon slater's performance um 
uh, as Cromwell in uh, for for the audio uh, book edition of of Wolf Hall is just it's astounding, um, and it's hard to know exactly how to characterize why it worked so well for me. But it just there's something about the fit between his voice and his performance, and the particular way that Mantell writes Cromwell's voice and his perspective. Um, that it just, it just pulled me right in. I was like, oh, this person is so much more complicated than I thought. And there's such a depth here. And even in her, the way she writes his narration, there's so much that he's hiding and so much that he's revealing and so much that he's conflicted by and how he's haunted by all the losses and death in his life and all the people that are gunning for him as he's, slowly rising into power it's just really it's really captivating and it it, again it had that feeling i guess for me it had that feeling like so many of these other titles that i've mentioned where i could imagine it being delivered as a series of monologues on the stage and i would be caught up into that right just like the english book just like the stand-up comics um reading and i think that's maybe i'm sort of identifying a through line for myself where it just feels like i am being told this and they are creating this image in my mind and here we go you know it seems like it's especially relatable as a former theater kid yes right (laughs) yes because but it's like it's silly but it's also like a world that you understand it is in a way that you can see that unfolding really clearly right and so that's what and so again it's one of those things that i'm just i'm drawn towards and i see how and in this case happen to agree with the Audis uh, awards around these these particular performances, you know, I, I see how they are exemplar exemplary, and I'm like, yeah, absolutely, they are. Do you this think anyone great. like sees the Audi book Audi award list and is like, nah, these were terrible? <laughs> nah. <laughs> Which is a funny thing for us to be in because we've talked about award shows before where we've kind of had that kind of reaction when everyone kind of is like. Meh, I don't know if that thing should have won. I don't know if Arcade Fire should have won Album of the Year that one year. <laughs> yeah, I remember that kerfuffle at the Grammys yeah. for sure. But, but I don't think that would happen as much with audiobook narration. It's sort of a, yeah, we all agree. That was yeah. an exemplary performance. That Good was job. brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like what you said, Joseph, because it really goes to the core goal of audiobooks, kind of, where all the stuff about Cromwell, the author intended that to be read in the text. Right. And then the, it took the narrator to really drive all of that home. Yeah. To really make it clear. So it's um, the narrator and the author are kind of working together almost. And there have been a couple of times where I've been able to meet authors. And there was one author where I did not like the choice of the narrator for the book. Whoop. And I wanted to ask the author how the narrator was chosen because I was like, surely mm. the author didn't pick this. And no, the author actually said, oh, yeah, I picked that narrator and I love that narrator. And so then I just swallowed everything I had to say and just told this author how much I loved her book. Wow. <laughs> but um, a lot there's not a lot that authors have control over yeah. with how their book is packaged, marketed, produced. But it seems that authors do have a great deal of choice about the narrator and how it's read, mm-hmm. which is a really great thing to just show how much, how intentional this relationship between the audio book the narrator and the text and the author, how important that relationship is. So Jess, have you listened to any of the Audis? Yes, Carmen, I have. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I actually, I've never really looked at the Audio Awards list, um, but inadvertently I've read a number of things that have won awards. And the most recent one that I listened to and big surprise really, um, really appreciate for what it conveys. And I agree completely with the Audio Awards and they're awarding this book, Audio Book of the Year, um, was The Only Plane in the Sky an oral history of 9-11 and it's pretty long for an audiobook. I think it's about 20 discs something like that so like 23 24 hours somewhere in there um, and it is a non-fiction oral history recounting that was pulled together by the author of the entire day of September 11th <coughs> and starting starting actually a couple of days beforehand it's kind of setting the location and everything like that but it's an oral history told with a 45 person cast whoa so each each person who really takes a large portion of the book we have everyone from donald rumsfeld in the pentagon to actual voice recordings on on flight 11 which was just harrowing to listen to and even now I think about it and it's um unnerving to hear on the audiobook and there's nothing that warns you that you're going to actually hear recordings of 911 calls and calls to United to say like customer service this is happening um and recordings from air mission control or air traffic control and um, perspectives from people around the president at the time, perspectives of people in Air Force One, which just like circled around in the air because that was the only safe place for the president to be at the time. And it just floated above the country watching everything happen. And um, people who were in the World Trade Center before, during, and after the collapse of the buildings. And it just goes chronologically through the day and moves back and forth between Pennsylvania and D.C. and New York City and Air Force One and um, in a couple of cases Houston so that you really get an idea of what's going on and there's a particularly devastating chapter read by kids in different grades and going from kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade and narrating what their day was like from all over the country but the audiobook is so well narrated because each of these characters, at some point, you find yourself really seeing the narrators as the characters themselves. And in some cases, they are read by the people who went through this, but in some cases, not. Um, they couldn't get Donald Rumsfeld to read his parts. Bummer. <laughs> yeah, what a shame. <laughs> um, but it's so well engineered, and everything it's once again handled by with kid gloves to tell this story in the most authentic way possible. And I imagine I wouldn't have been able, I don't think to get through the audiobook or not, not the audiobook. I don't think I would have been able to get through the print book, mm-hmm. but I was able yeah. to get through the audiobook because it, the seconds in the CD just kept ticking yeah. and kept going. And I couldn't get hung up on, x y or z because it kept moving and that was really helpful for me to be able to read it because i don't think i would have been able to finish it otherwise this is something i said on our episode about carmen machado's book but i think it's relevant here too with getting through that book jess and it's that when someone is telling you an awful thing that has happened either to them or them as a proxy of the character and the or the real person in this situation 
it's a lot easier to hear this awful thing than it is to read it. And you can really, fo- you, if I feel like it's easier to understand the emotional magnitude. It's more digestible that yeah. way. Mm. And yeah, you can not only digest told. it, but really hear it much better than right. if you read it. Because then it's like a person's voice. And it's a sort of a constant reminder that this is a real thing that happened to actual people. Yeah. As opposed to when you're reading it on the page, then when you close the book, it's done. But this just keep gets to linger right. because of the voiceovers. And for us as humans we think about like oh well we've been reading paper books for so long and we don't pick up an audiobook until for for most of us we're in college or after that but we've been taught to listen from the day we're born Mm -hmm. you know and we spend our entire lives listening to others and so that really has taught us to listen to the story being told, especially with nonfiction audiobooks, especially with mm-hmm. emotional ones like that, for sure. Carmenita, what about, uh, we won't ask for the full list of every <laughs> audio award winner that you've read, because I know it's basically all of them. <laughs> the Venn diagram <laughs> is just a circle. Um, but what, what stands out to you among the audio award winners that you have listened to? So one that stands out to me is sort of like you said, Joseph, it is one where I saw it and I said, yep, that 100% deserves that award. In 2018, Trevor Noah's Born a Crime won for Best Male Narrator. Mm-hmm. And um, I read that and I said, yep, that's one of the best books, what best audiobooks that I've ever read. I love it when I... I'm trying to convince someone to read an audiobook. That's often a book I go to yeah. because it's just so incredibly well done. Um, so that's the one that sticks out to me the most as one of my favorite Audi winners. And the reason it sticks out is, um, so Trevor Noah, we kind of know him from his shows and his comedy bits. Mm-hmm. The title of the book comes from the fact that his birth was literally a crime. He was born during apartheid in South Africa. His mother is South African Tossa, and his father is white i think from the netherlands and so the kind interracial relationships were 100 percent a crime and he being born was proof of an interracial relationship that is very clear and obvious so he goes into his childhood and it is a memoir basically following his earliest memory memory up until his mid-20s sort of his whole quote-unquote childhood and then when it stops right around when he comes to america and starts getting into all of his performance stuff here and in europe and um, it's really interesting one from, from a memoir perspective because he has talked about in interviews about the writing of the book, he says that for his whole life he always just thought he was an indoor kid. And then when he started really thinking about his life and his childhood, he realized oh, he was kept indoors mm-hmm. right. because his mom could have gotten arrested and put in jail because of his existence. And he remembers things where he had to walk a few steps in front of his mom anytime they went outside so that it would look like she was his nanny because his mom is very dark skinned. He's very light skinned. And so there was, they couldn't in public look like they were mother and son. They had to look like there was some kind of other distant type of relationship there. Mm -hmm. And it's just stuff he didn't think about. So we have that great memoir aspect of it. Then we have the comedic performance that we've talked about with bossy pants, with some of the other books that we've mentioned on the podcast today. There are so many parts of the story that are tragic and hilarious. And being a co- comedian, Trevor Noah is able to just perfectly perform that. And the really notable part of it is when he's talking about how much he loved church growing up. 
which first I love comp comedians and it's very rare for them to say they actually love church. A lot of the comedians that grew up in church will say, I hated church and here's this funny joke about it. Yeah. <laughs> but he talks about how church was his first time performing. And it's because um, everyone in his mom's family was forced to assimilate to Christianity at some point in mm-hmm. the history of his mm-hmm. lineage yeah. and were Christian. But they felt that God didn't hear African language prayers. God didn't hear Tosa prayers. God only heard English prayers because God was white, because all the white people did so well, and they all spoke English, so clearly God hears English prayers. (laughs) (laughs) And Trevor talks about how he was the one that spoke the best English of his family line at that time, so he was tasked with doing all the prayers. And he was the closest to being white. <laughs> he spoke English. So they figured God would hear his prayers more than they would hear. He would this hear anybody else's prayers. good enough. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we'll he's, the best, he's the best middle man. He's a good yeah. representative. <laughs> <laughs> so even the emotional face stories of Jess and Joseph were that went from exasperation and anger to hilarity. Because yeah. it's just so funny <laughs> that this is the tragic comedy of Trevor Noah's childhood of yeah. being this thing is so awful. The apartheid era was so awful in human history. Right. But it just has these really funny moments of how it kind of warped. We're going to find a way to make it work. Yeah, we're going to find a way to make it funny. And so it has a lot of moments like that in the book. And so he's able to really bring these stories to life. And then the other thing goes back to what I said about how much I like accent work. And I really like accent and language work in audiobooks. So the language that Trevor Noah's family speaks that is common in that part of the world is Tosa. And in English, we can't even pronounce the word correctly because it is um, a clicking language. So there's a lot of click sounds and it's an XH is how it's stylized in English for the first sound. And that sound in the actual language is a clicking sound. And since he speaks that language and it's one of his first languages, he of course speaks it flawlessly. And you can hear that even when he just says the word Tosa in the book. And when he has a couple of sections where he speaks the actual language Mm -hmm. or he's speaking as his mom and something that she said and the way he does her accent compared to his own accent. So it really just makes this whole life of his really clear and evident and you can really enjoy the language instead of it just being these letters that your brain that your brain that primarily or only speaks English can't fully wrap itself around. Mm-hmm. You can hear someone else saying the language and the language is able to be a character itself and part of the world building to really show what this life is. Yeah, and I'm sure that there are points where his mom is calling him, like, you schmutz. Yeah. Like, my mm-hmm. mom would call me a schmutz when I was a kid, and but in her language, but it really comes across as, like, she's saying this to him. Yeah. Because I'm sure she has that. Yes. <laughs> Every mom has something that they can say about their kids to make fun of them yes. and remind them what punks they are <laughs> in <laughs> any language on the face of the planet. Yep. And so Yiddish, that really Tasa, whatever yeah. it might be. <laughs> so it really helps the relationship between him and his mom really shine when you hear him talk about it. And he just loves his mom so much and has so much fondness for her. And it's very clear that she is someone in his life, even as he's gotten to this huge stardom that kind of anchors him. And every decision he's made as an adult kind of goes back to his mom in some way. And that's just a really pure thing to read, but especially a pure thing to hear someone tell you. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting example because I think it does it does sort of affirm that aspect of the through line that we've been sketching through a couple of these selections where um, we have in the case of the readers, in the case of the performers in particular, 
they're going into this work of creating this audio adaptation and they have such a clear sense of an audience and working with an audience in so many other aspects of their lives. Like it, I would imagine we don't, you know, we can't ask Trevor Noah directly uh, or Patton Oswalt or, or whoever else. We? Or can we, right. Trevor Noah, uh, Patton Oswalt, if you're listening. Hit us up. Dion Graham. Dion Graham, <laughs> hit us up. Please call me. But, um... <laughs> All right, that's your personal business. <laughs> that's me. Um, you just want him to leave you a voicemail. Um, yes. Oh, I would die. But um, <laughs> but they but they have that sense of audience work, of crowd work in other aspects of their lives, or stagecraft, or something like that. Sure. You know, yeah. and and that's going in. And so there's a weird way in which I would imagine you while you're suspending the immediate feedback of that you still know what that is and you know how to bring it as if you were in front of someone the narrator has presence right that's what it is that's what it is yeah Yeah, that's really what it is and it comes across um and and i think you know and i think that 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 is so often the the through line in any successful experience that i've had with audiobooks and i feel like that's like orbiting around a lot of what we're a lot of what we're uh talking about here today i and i mean i think the i think that the the example of the the only plane in the sky is a really interesting somewhat outlier in comparison with these other ones because it is so unique in the way in which it is structured and i almost feel like the way that it works the way that it works is almost in the vein of I don't know something a little something a little bit more avant-garde that would be that would be interested in like documenting the granular moments of the everyday except of course in this case it's this cataclysmic you know sort of world historical event um you know that's happening in a that's happening in a single day but I wonder about um I wonder about the like the audiobook existence or the audiobook version of other oral histories and how that work can make those events come back alive and feel like something you're remembering in real time, you know, whenever that's possible. Um, I, you know, it's not something that I, it's not something that I've, I've sought out, but it's, um, it's a very interesting medium to choose to, uh, to use to tell those stories because I could imagine just how affecting it would be, you know, uh, to, to move through it in that way, to hear all of those voices, as well as those emergency calls and, and so on. Yeah, and I will say, like, some of the people who are on The Only Plane in the Sky are the people who had this stuff happen to Right. Them. You can hear the New York accent for some of these <laughs> Yeah, people. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Frankie. You know, you Tony. can hear <laughs> Uncle Frankie on the ferry. Um, mm. But some of the people are played by narrators or voice actors because not everyone has everyone has a voice for audio <laughs> i speak from experience thanks to everyone who listens through these with me talking because it's a real experience but not everyone can listen to every voice and right. so with an oral history it's so important to ensure that if the story is going to be told and we're going to make sure that people listen, we have to package it in the right way. Sure. And it's got to still be a really authentic way of doing it. And that's the narrator's purpose and goal is to let, let you feel this in the most authentic way possible. But there are some cases 
and the only plane in the sky is a perfect example. There's cases where the oral history won't do as someone else telling it or even as a recording of it like later on it's got to be the real thing and I'll say I don't I'm not a crier I don't like crying I don't want to cry generally speaking but okay Ron Swanson yeah that's me just here with my mustache and my sweater um (laughs) but listening to the only plane in the sky just driving along in my car do 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 think I was on my way to work and I the first recording of the call to United started playing and I just started crying and Ooh. I like, it was just deeply affecting sure. to actually hear that in the moment. And I mean, we've heard snippets of it on the news and all of that kind of stuff, but it's so much different when it's couched in an oral history of that time. And I think you were driving. So that's really, yeah, you had to I focus was on the road, obviously, fo- yeah. but you were able to be super focused on it with Absolutely. no other distractions. Yeah. Just hearing it, it's around sound all around mm-hmm. you. Yeah. I was in it, yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah, there's a rawness to it and there's a sense of being of being spoken directly to. Right. You know, you are the you you are the you are the addressee of this in the moment. Absolutely. It's very striking. Yeah. So sharp turn out of a book that is the history of a national tragedy that is a very important notable book to read, but Shifting into something completely different, are there any people that you would love to see read an read an audiobook? Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of book what is Vin read? Diesel reading? <laughs> A book about family. Oh my! <laughs> okay, hear me out. Vin Diesel, The Godfather. Ooh! Oh, now that right? would be. That would be. Not good, but interesting. <laughs> I was thinking Vin. I was thinking Vin Diesel, Anna Karenina. Oh God! Oh God! That first all happy line. Fam- all happy yeah. families are alike. All sad families. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Vin Diesel, funny part, but to stay in the same vein of someone that I think could and should narrate an audiobook memoir about their lives is The Rock. Oh my God! Oh, yes, uh, yeah. the fact that he hasn't already kind of shocks me. Because he he is one of those kind of celebrities that has a diverse financial portfolio. He kind of does it Absolutely. all. Absolutely, <laughs> he does do everything. I mean, he he'll, has his own tequila. He'll release a he'll release a memoir when he's ready to run for office. Yes. Correct. Oh my God! He's got my vote. That'll <laughs> no be question. The, that'll be the trajectory. Yeah, that'll be a way to really hook him. Because okay. he's also got a. L- I think it would be a lot like Trevor Noah's. Because he's a pretty fun guy. He's he's a big performer. But, but he's he gone through a lot. lot. Of, yeah, he's gone yeah. through it, and so, and also like Trevor Noah, he's very close with his mom and yeah. very adoring of her. Anytime yes. he talks to her. <laughs> and his and family is so important to him. I'm on board for this. Yeah, yeah I would cool. love this. <laughs> Great. I'm glad. I'm glad <laughs> we've decided it's gonna happen. All right, The Rock. If you're listening, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Dwayne Johnson, friend of the show. <laughs> here to talk about his new memoir yeah could you imagine we're manifesting it <laughs> into the world joseph what about you oh aside from the rock obviously oh, i don't know Easy this answer. is this is tough um i don't know one of the one of the um one of the actors that comes to mind i guess or performers i should say that comes to mind um that i would imagine would do a great job reading Reading certain audiobooks is uh, the actor Michael Shannon. 
Ooh, um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, he's he's one of my favorite performers uh, working today, and, and he, he chooses really interesting projects to work on and plays really complicated and often very unlikable characters. And I think that, you know, I think he would do, I think he would do a, a great job reading um, some of the complicated and often unlikable uh, characters in fiction, uh, whether they were in novels by Cormac McCarthy or uh, William Faulkner. Um, I could see, I could see any of that working really well uh, in, in, in his, in his hands. Um, and maybe these things already exist. I have no idea. Uh, but if they don't, um, you know, maybe I can, I too can manifest a, um, a, uh, put it out into the universe and create a, uh, Michael Shannon, a Michael Shannon narrated Dwayne version of, uh, of Blood Meridian by, by Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> wow. Very great. specific. Yeah. Yes. Super specific. All right. So we've got here, Dwayne, the rock Johnson, Michael Shannon, who is the third in our trifecta. Yeah, Carmenita. Carmenita, what are you thinking? What do we got here? As in all things, Beyonce. Of course. Okay. <laughs> But Fair. I say that you not know, I could see the three of them having a buddy comedy. Oh together. my god, yes. <laughs> oh boy. Ooh, not, not just because I mean she is my favorite pop culture icon and I could s- speak about her all the time. But it was really she wasn't really someone I thought of as being someone that could be an audiobook narrator until Lemonade the Visual Album. Hmm. Because a big component of the visual album is the poetry of Warson Shire. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of spoken word on that album. Yeah. Right. And she is such an incredible narrator for the emotion of those words. Now, Warson Shire was a very noted, lauded, award-winning poet before she was on Lemonade. And so these were poems that weren't necessarily written for Beyonce for the most part. They were just poems that had already kind of existed. And then they just fit so well with the theme of Lemonade. But the way that she narrates and reads those poems with such heft and emotional weight I would love to see Beyonce narrate a book of poetry and maybe even kick it to the classics and maybe I could I would love if she did specifically Audre Lorde's Black Unicorn Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that is something that is just about black female identity in America and there's plenty of other people that could do a probably a better job as far as representation Beyonce is a straight woman Audre Lorde maybe would fit into a modern definition of bisexual. She had relationships with men and women, long-standing relationships with women, saw herself as a lesbian, and there's plenty of people that are black lesbian performers that could do a wonderful job of reading Audre Lorde poetry. But I just think that that's like my favorite book of poetry is Black Unicorn, and I think that Beyonce would just do a phenomenal job with any kind of poetry, just really bringing it to life with emotional vitality. And it's something that um, there's not a lot of audiobooks for poetry, surprisingly, but I want yeah. there to be more. <laughs> yeah. Especially since um, I'm someone that I didn't like poetry when I was in high school. I really hated it. Even through college, I really hated poetry. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I was able to read past the typical American canon of poetry and read these other diverse authors or authors who were just a little bit outside the norm. And it really made me realize I love reading poetry. And um, I think an audiobook would be a really great way to get some other people into it. And musicians already do the performance of essentially poems, which are mm-hmm. just songs. Mm-hmm. I don't think she would do a great job of it. She does a great job of all things in her life. <laughs> yeah, I'll just throw in an I'll just throw in an extra plug for uh, listening to listening to poems being read, uh, whether you're finding them through the Poetry Foundation website or through audiobooks or whatever form. 
you know, this was as a person who taught poetry for years, this was always uh, one of the things that I emphasized to students. It was just to say, do not get locked into the page. Don't get trapped by what you see in front of you. You have to hear this yeah. first. It's so it's so important because hearing it, you hear the musicality. You just you get it in a way that you wouldn't otherwise get it so often. All right, it is now time for our reader's advisory corner, and we're doing it a little bit differently today. Because even though we talked about the audio words, I thought it would be prudent for us to recommend to everyone who's listening an audiobook as a good place to start if you've never listened to audiobooks. Yay. So, Joseph, what do you have? So I, I I have a double recommendation. Um, I have a specific. Oh, look who cheated! Oh, I have a specific book I want to recommend, but I also just have a general author recommendation that I want to throw out there for um, for the Joseph. the audiobook curious. Um, so I want to talk about Michael. <laughs> Wait a minute, <laughs> the audiobook curious. Yeah, that yeah. is, say I'm audio curious. Audio like, what curious. Is that? Yeah. I. Love that. Yeah. That's our new podcast merch. That's what it's going to say. Are you audiobook curious? <laughs> Time to make a display. Have we got some titles for you? No. Um, <laughs> so I want to recommend I want to recommend Michael Pollan, um, the noted um, science and food writer. Uh, he of Omnivore's Dilemma, Cooked, and so many other titles. A, his most recent book is is called How to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence. And it is a wonderful audiobook to listen to uh, because Paul and himself is so good at explaining really complicated things in really uh, simple ways that will help you understand them. He he talks a lot about neuroscience in this book. He talks a lot about mindfulness in this book. He talks a lot about mycology. Um, and Mushrooms. It's, yeah. Um, and it's really wide ranging and it features, um, as with so many of his other books, all of the fascinating character studies that um, that you may be familiar with where, where he finds these really interesting people who are working on uh, wild questions that you didn't even know were questions um, in the world. And he and he mixes that with his just characteristic style of writing about his own experience in a way that is really moving and really compelling. Um, so if you are a fan of The Omnivore's Dilemma or if you've watched his Netflix show Cooked, which is also excellent, um, I would really recommend this book. And I would also recommend uh, if if you're not interested in the science of psychedelics, I would recommend that you uh, that you check out any of his other audiobooks because he is just such an excellent writer and excellent audiobook narrator. So Carmenina, what about you? What's your what's your recommended starter audiobook? I think we've done a good job because mine goes a little bit more vague than yours does, mm-hmm. and then we'll have Jess to pull us back in. I'm sure okay. as she tends to do. <laughs> I'll do what I can. <laughs> so I. I'm going to do what I love to do, which is promote something I love, which is rereading. Um, mm-hmm. I really love rereading books. I never thought that I would be someone that reread as much as I do. I reread, I would say maybe six six books a year or so, which is a lot considering like the whole course of a year. And so um, I think one of the problems with getting into audiobooks is like we talked about, training yourself with the pacing, training yourself to listen to someone's voice. And that will be a lot easier if you read a book you're already familiar with. 
So my suggestion is to reread a book from your past. And I don't mean a book that you liked last year. I mean a book you liked at a different stage in your life. Maybe while you were in college, maybe when you were a kid, maybe that one book that your best friend gave you right after a really traumatic personal life event. Something that'll just bring you back to a previous time in your life somehow. Um, for me, this has happened with two big things. I reread the Harry Potter books. It was the first time I reread them and I reread them as an adult about five years ago. And at the same time of rereading those, I was rereading a series of unfortunate events. These are both book series that were really important to me when I was a kid. And when, I w when you're a kid and you're reading a book about kids, you really sympathize with the kids in this. You see the whole story as like unfair, unjust. And reading as an adult, I sympathized in a very different way. So when I was reading Harry Potter, I remember reading um, Prisoner of Azkaban and I didn't sympathize with Harry at all. I just sympathize with all the adults in his life because Harry's view of it is, no one's letting me do anything, this is all unfair. And my view of it as being an adult and working in teen services at the time, my view of it was, every adult in this book is just trying to protect you from who everyone thinks is a serial killer. Like they're trying to keep you safe. That's all that's going on. There's no conspiracy against you. We're all trying to keep you safe. Huh. And so that was my perspective, rereading that for the first time as an adult. And then it went the opposite way with a series of unfortunate events, which is why I wanted to kind of juxtapo juxtapose those two. Because in a series of unfortunate events, I was even more on the kid's side. I was like, these adults are so incompetent. They're doing nothing to protect these children. They are constantly putting these kids in harm. They're not listening to these kids that are constantly telling them everything going wrong. Why is everyone like this? And so it's just a really great experience to read those books. I also, um, in a sad update, I also read a series of unfortunate events, finished the last few books, and watched the TV show right after one of my parents died. And it was just a very profound time in my life to read a book about losing your parents because there were these lines in the book that just meant so much more to me having gone through it. Like a famous line about, losing a parent that he says that Lemony Snicket writes is something to the effect of unless you have lost a parent there's no way you can understand what it's like and the closest way to explain it is when you're walking upstairs and you think there is one more step and there isn't and I'd read that when I was a kid and I had seen it on Instagram or I'd seen it other places in the wild and I thought that that was just really great writing but when I read that line after losing a parent I was like this is the most perfect definition of grief I've ever experienced ever in my life and it was written for 12 year olds <laughs> and so it just really made me further appreciate the incredible writing style of Lemony Snicket his word play was a lot more interesting to sort of unpack as an adult just the whole experience was really great and the good thing the final good thing about rereading a book is rereading an audiobook is you're training yourself with this new format if you zone out a little bit it's okay you know the story, you know what's happened. So if you zone out for 10 minutes or something happens and your app crashes or the CD is scratched and you miss a little bit of it, you're fine because you already know the story. So you can just go back into it as best you can and just continue. And that's just a really good way to kind of train yourself, rereading. So go think about times in your life, books that were really profound or books you really loved and find the audiobook of one of them. Nice. Jess, what about you? So when I talked earlier about my coworker who was really big into audiobooks, um, this is the audiobook that she gave me that finally got me to read audiobooks, and that is Little Bee by Chris Cleave. 
and it was published back in 2009, which gives you an idea of how long I've been around, because it was right <laughs> after it had won an Earphones Award from Audiophile, which is an online um, database, essentially, about audiobook narrators, audiobooks, what, you know, click on a narrator and see everything they've ever read, that kind of stuff. Um, so this must have been in early 2010 that I picked it up and read it, and I was just astonished at the way that this world was brought to life for me and little b centers on two characters one is a late 30 something white woman in london and the other is a 13 year old black girl living in nigeria and they are brought together by this very sheer tragedy tragedy that is unveiled very late in the book um, but the book starts with little B, who is the character in Nigeria, arriving on the front doorstep of the woman in London. And the woman in London decides to take her in. And you're wondering why? How is their relationship like this? Why is Why does it seem so fraught? Like this woman doesn't know anything about little B's life beforehand. And what was really astonishing to me was that it was narrated by two different people. One was a British woman and one was a Nigerian woman. And so oh, wow. the accent work, Carmenita, that you really like is there in spades. That's great. And it's so, so well done. And it feels, again, just like we want with any narrator that's really strong, that it feels like an authentic experience that you're going through and that you're listening to. And it just completely shattered every concept I had about an audiobook and what an audiobook could do for a reader um, and that was really that was what kickstarted my experience with audiobooks and I have recommended it to multiple people over the years who were hesitant about audiobooks because it's one a story that a lot of literary fiction readers are going to find enjoyable to some extent and it's very well written in general um, it got a lot of a lot of critical praise when it came out, but the audiobook takes it that next step. And so it's really engaging and just so good. And I'd recommend it to anyone who's looking for a start in audiobooks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Book Lovers Podcast. All our titles are available in the Spartanburg County Public Libraries collections via spartanburglibraries.org. For more information about the audiobooks discussed on this episode, other episodes, or to learn more about us, check out our website, bookloverspodcast.squarespace.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to Book Lovers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.